can we just uh, bow our heads and pray together? Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would send us now the help of your Spirit, that we may uh, truly hear, and truly hearing your word uh, might be enabled to fulfill it in the lives that we live and in the life of the world that we live in. Amen. 18th century Edinburgh, uh, one of the kind of hot spots of intellectual activity that mattered in the world at that time. Terribly bright chap, David Hume. David Hume comes up with this very clever idea. You can't get an ought from an is, by which he means this. <coughs> There's no way that you can actually describe how things are, just the facts, in such a way that you can, as it were, squeeze them and get a should, a moral obligation, out of them. You can't get the ought out of an is. Now, here's Jesus in our reading today saying... Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, fact on the ground, is, you also should wash one another's feet, the ought. Jesus is getting an ought out of an is. Now, of the two, I'd probably put, want to put more faith in the uh, Lord of heaven and earth rather than in David Hume. Uh, but it's a good question because actually as we consider the business of that should, and actually for all that that reading talks about, it's that little word should that's going to be the problem for us this morning. As we try and focus down on that should, we have to recognize that our lives are surrounded by oughts and shoulds. And a lot of the time we just ignore them. And we feel we can ignore them because we're getting on with a life that's about facts. It's about the is. Or sometimes we pay attention to the oughts and the shoulds. We're not always sure we pay attention to the right ones. But if we go back to that original idea that you can't get a should, an ought, from an is, one of the things that Hume was rightly concerned about was, um, if I'm nice to Ben over there, in what way, since I will by then already have been nice, does Ben have to do anything nice for me? Why can't Ben just say, well, okay, but you chose to do it. I didn't make you. Thank you very much, if you want thanks, but that's it. And one of the things that breaks that kind of pattern, I'm nice to him, he's nice to me, is what Jesus has to say in John chapter 13. Not, I have washed your feet, now you wash my feet. He doesn't say that. It's one of the most obvious things that Jesus could have said. Not sure, he obviously didn't have enough feet to go round if he had said it, but the principle would have been there. And it's what we expect in life. But he doesn't say that. He says, I have washed your feet, now you go and wash everyone else's. This model of the way Jesus is operating here I've washed yours, now you wash everyone else's. It's about the grain of the universe. 
When God in Jesus wants to show his love, we learn that at the, that this from the beginning of the chapter, what does he do? He serves them. So to serve our brothers and sisters is simply to be like Jesus. Not, of course, in any way more so than the other disciplines that we're thinking about in this series. We've had the story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his sending of the Spirit. And now we think, okay, well, how do we respond to all that? And we're thinking about this series of disciplines. And it's not more so that we serve than prayer or study of the Word, but, it, but all of them are like, as it were, running your fingers along the grain of God. The should comes out of the fact that this is just the way that God is. Why serve? Simply because it means being more like Jesus. And nothing we say in this series is going to have any purchase, any any traction in your life unless it is the desire of your heart to be like Jesus. It doesn't mean that's easy. That's why it's a discipline. Even Jesus, after all, at one point, we know, wanted not to lay down his life. But it is to allow the will of God to have priority over your own will. It's to extend the kingdom into areas where serving has not been the model. And imagine what that would be like. We've just had elections, and before that, there was quite a lot of fuss about the behavior of MPs. Just imagine if every single MP that had been elected recently was about serving. Thank God that many are. But what if every single one was? What if every single person in your workplace had a dominant ethos of serving? What if every teacher and pupil in your school or the school that your child attends had Uh, uh, was entirely motivated by serving. And then, of course, we have to say, what if Holy Trinity was utterly motivated by serving? And, of course, it really only works as a thought experiment if it's utterly, not if it's partially. Because if if we're partly motivated, then we open ourselves up to the one thing that probably inhibits service more than anything else. The sense that I don't mind serving, I'm happy to serve, so long as Ben serves me. You're going to feel quite got at, aren't you? But you just happen to be sitting there. Sorry about that, Ben. But no, it's, it's more like... Um, I don't know if you saw the thing on the, the news this week about this new facility that's opened, the Synchrotron, um, in, in Oxfordshire. Um, and it's got me thinking about energy. It's, it's more like some kind of new, endlessly renewable energy discovered by physicists, with Jesus as the reactor that starts it and keeps on serving. While those around first feel the effects of that energy as they are served, then they become uh, little reactors themselves, and, and, and the thing moves out. That's how the church of God is designed to be. And the church of God, composed of Jesus' disciples, is, is in best shape to fulfill that design. But of course, Jesus has to work with the design flaws that are built into you and me. Because for us, we can manage to serve a bit, those whom it's easy to serve. But then the energy of the reactor starts to fall back on itself. 
if we're not careful. Service is enabled by the Spirit of God. It's a gift, according to Romans 12. But if you also look at something like Ephesians and find that all gifts are looked on as a kind of service to build up the body of Christ. We can't then say about service, oh, well, that's, that's not a gift that I have. I, I do something else. Of course, there may be a special equipping that some of us have got, but all of us, according to Jesus in John 13, all of us are to serve. And if all disciples are to do it, then we can rightly call it a discipline. There is about it an element of that should that occurs in Jesus' language here. So what is it that we should do? Because remember, this should is only going to work if we sit here wanting to be more like Jesus. And so that's the first question we have to ask is, do you? Firstly then, serve the person. Let's, ex- let's clear some ground. Let's exclude some of the things that would be unhelpful. Whatever this means, it means not serving in such a way that you come out of that service saying, oh, I just need some me time. Then something has gone wrong. Then you're serving as a performance in a role You're finding your personal reality, not in the serving, which is where Jesus finds his, but in the me time afterwards, the the trip down to the pub or the long soak in the bath. Trip down to the pub if you're a woman, long soak in the bath if you're a man, obviously. (laughs) Something has gone terribly wrong if that's how we approach service. Uh, if you want to, to, to read more, there's a, a wonderful article on the Times Online website. Just put me time into, uh, uh, into Google and have a look at what the Times Online article has to say. It's uh, for stressed mothers who think that they need me time. But neither is it serving in a way that turns us into a doormat, and some of us may need to hear that. Something has gone wrong again in that way. It's not just doing... Well, it isn't doing just what the other person thinks you should do for them. That's not what Jesus does here, is it? Peter doesn't even understand what Jesus is doing when he's washing his feet. Now, when he does it for Peter, of course what he's doing and symbolizing with all that kind of odd conversation that goes on between them, he is symbolizing the, the washing with blood that's about to come Peter's way. And once that's happened, says Jesus, you don't need to keep doing it. But then, as so often in John's Gospel, the meaning slightly changes because obviously when Jesus says, I've done it for you, now do it for each other, he's not saying, I need you to go and die for the sins of the world, each one of you for the others. That's one off. But either way, Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. So there's no sense in which the service of Jesus is driven by Peter demanding service from him. Jesus simply got on with the business of serving. Jesus has special insight, but we ourselves can still see the person in front of us for who they are in Jesus. We don't have to be their doormat in order to serve them. Neither do we serve them in such a way that we exhaust ourselves and leave ourselves feeling in the need of me time. 
And the person in front of us is not any old random person, but our brother and sister in Christ. This text, John 13, is about the church. Of course it's true that we serve in the world outside. Lots of us serve in our different ways in the world outside, and the world outside is kind enough to give us some money for it. There are many ways in which we can serve the world, and Scripture touches on that from time to time, though less than we might think. Most of the texts in Scripture, though, are about service in the church, and this one uh, most of all, perhaps. It's about the service that we offer to one another, quite deliberately, to take up the opportunities to give expression to the example of our own master. This is about letting it be seen what value we, t we put on one another. Imagine how gladly we would serve one another if we could see each other this morning when we come to the peace in a little while as the person whose feet Jesus has already knelt down to wash. So serve the person. Secondly, serve like the master. How are we going to handle that should? What about those who, uh, who are sitting here, who are practically minded, and might be saying, look, um, I find my life, Alan, it's full as it is. I'm happy with the service that I'm occasionally able to offer in the life of the church. That's okay. But there's really enough going on. What am I to do with this word should? What exactly does God want me to, to be doing? Well, again, let's clear some ground and say, well, there's one obvious wrong way to deal with it. It's to... Uh, to say to ourselves, well, okay, I've obviously missed something uh, so far. Um, there's part of the package I've not noticed before. I, I've got my work and my social life and the kids need running around and we obviously have to see the family, but maybe, maybe, Alan, I could watch one hour less of TV uh, and use that hour in church service. What do you want me to do? Well, I'm not complaining about the idea of watching an hour less TV and no doubt I could find something for you to do if you offered, if everyone offered an hour of service. But in a way, that kind of response is too easy in the short term. Yes, it's practical. Uh, yes, it answers the question. It's doable. Why actually in the long term, it's completely impossible. It misunderstands the should in verses 14 and 15. It's unworkable. Imagine if that was your response in a series of sermons on discipline. It would end up with you facing a crippling burden of the extra hours that you'd just taken on. Service and prayer and fasting and mission and money, and all of them because their disciplines are for all of us. It's not about particular giftedness. You'd be exhausted, you'd be dead on your feet, and it would just be for you another thing that hadn't worked. Somehow there has to be a way of seeing these disciplines not as something we add in. Yes, they're going to be hard work. Yes, they're sometimes going to be uncongenial. But somehow they can't just be something we add to normal life. They have to become some, some sort of, uh, uh, some kind of grain of our own lives, uh, aligned with the grain of the master. So the answers might be more subtle, more flexible, but demand more thought than just ticking off another box on a to-do list. So, and this is just an example. Instead of saying, oh, I could do one hour less of TV watching, what do you want me to do? Instead, 
maybe you could still watch your one hour of TV, but on a winter's night, go and watch it with someone who's shut in, for whom the hours between darkness and bedtime are a long stretch. It may well be, not that we take something on, though we may, but that we just bring the grain of our lives into alignment with the grain of Christ's, not seeing our lives as, this is normal, now I've got these extra things to do, but just as lives through which runs the same grain that runs through the life of Jesus. Might it not be possible to respond to the call of Jesus by saying, well, I can still be me, but I can be me while serving. Now, one of the ways, uh, this is going to sound like a, a, a dreadful continuity link, one of the ways in which we seek every now and then to assist with this is we run a program to help you work out what is your grain and how that fits with the grain of the master. The program's called Network. We haven't run it for a while, but Barry, if you would just uh, flick it up on the screen. We're going to be running it uh, in the autumn, uh, Tuesday evenings, uh, an evening in uh, late September, and then two evenings in uh, early October. Um, and if you are relatively new to Holy Trinity, um, and, and maybe you haven't encountered this course before, this is a terrific resource for helping you understand the ways in which service might be functioning in your life. If we just leave it up there for a few moments, uh, Barry, so if people want to note down the date, they can do. And what's going to be the consequence of this service, this continuing discipline? of giving ourselves to one another. What will be the reward? Well, according to Jesus, in this story, the very end, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What does the blessing look like? Well, what did it look like for him? Betrayal, death, and resurrection. There's no payback that can leave us saying in this life, well, I'll do that, but then God will owe me big time. And this is what I mean about the grain. The, the, the grain of Jesus' life is that he gives his life up for others. And out of that comes death, but resurrection. So sometimes when we serve and give up our will, our purposes, for the good of another, sometimes we get to see the results of that flourishing, and that's a great thing, but often we don't. And that has to be okay. It's enough of a blessing to know that we are being like Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's true. But it doesn't deny that there is also new life. Not necessarily for those who come in the first place. Not for the same person. Not in the same way but there will be life that comes from that offering. And there's nothing in this discipline of service that offers a guaranteed reward in this life except the knowledge that we are about our master's business. And how much of your life can you say is covered by that description right now? In truth, where would we be, where would we rather be than about his business? Who would we rather be like than the Master Jesus? Let's pray.
Today has not been about particular forms of service. That may surface on other weeks. Today has been about our hearts and that sense of getting our hearts aligned with the grain that we see in the heart of Jesus. And so to finish, I've adapted a prayer from Ignatius of Loyola. Teach us, good Lord, to serve our brothers and sisters as they deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labour and not to seek for any reward save that of knowing that we do your will. Amen.